Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. to um, be back together tonight. Thanks for coming out on a cold night um, to worship Jesus and to centre around the Word. Um, we're obviously at the start of 2020, a new year and a new decade, and this is our kind of first sort of proper, if you like, Sunday night back in, in, in Lurgan here. And um, <clears throat> I think, you know, we're still, it's for probably fair to say, um, like a lot of things at the minute, still trying to um, discern and hear the Lord on um, how we should go forward um, and what he's saying to us about what we should be leaning into and teaching on on Sunday nights. And next Sunday night we have an encounter night and so we want to come and position ourselves and ready ourselves to hear from the Lord. But <clears throat> there's a degree to which I think um, where we go and what we do, um, I hear this the right way, I think it's a wee bit on us. Um, and it's obviously all on God, but it's kind of also on us in terms of what what is it that we feel where is it we feel God's leading us? How hungry do we feel for it? And um, how much do we do we long for it? And so tonight I'm just going to try my best and pull some of the thoughts together from where we were last year and um, and maybe just offer a few thoughts around how I think God might want to lead us forward in the year ahead. Um, we obviously did feel that there was a sense of momentum, not just on Sunday nights, but in a number of different environments where the Lord was um, stirring our hearts. And we taught through a series in, uh, based on this verse, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And this is really a heart cry from the prophet on behalf of the people of God to do the kind of thing that he's done before in history, to break in uh, in unusual, uh, awesome ways uh, in his redeeming grace to revive his people, to awaken cultures and the nations to his glory. That's what we were looking at. And I suppose <clears throat> our reason for teaching it, so I'm going to say a number of preliminary things here before we get to some scriptures, but just to try and help draw us together again where I think, you know, what the Lord is doing. Uh, we were teaching on this because uh, we feel like we've sensed the stirring in our spirits really over the last couple of years, particularly over the last six months to a year, um, to begin praying and asking God very intentionally for a move of his spirit. Um, to, to ask him for an awakening and a, re a revival, whatever that looks like. And um, it's not that we ever stopped that in some ways, to be honest, because um, we've always been praying for a move of God. Um, but I think we began to feel that the Lord was calling us or giving us permission, if that's a way to put it, to put our foot on the accelerator a little bit, to put our foot down on the pedal, to lean into his heart, drive right into his heart. And... Um, ask him to come and move. And I suppose as we spoke to other people around the world and around our country and other people uh, that we respect and love and they were hearing and sensing and longing for the same things, it started to feel like the Holy Spirit was moving and is moving across the earth at the moment and particularly in the church in the West again in quite a wonderful way. And earlier on in the series, I'm not going to take time to go over it, I talked a little bit about my nervousness for talking about revival because there's all sorts of negative kind of old-fashioned, if you like, 
uh, old wineskin type connotations when it comes to revival, but all the same, the enemy would want us to throw the baby out with the bathwater and would want us to stop calling for God to do something. And it suffice to say, I think that we feel we're in a place where God is inviting us. And I think that this is one of the things he wants to do tonight as we enter a new decade. He's inviting us. He's inviting you tonight, I think. And he's inviting me tonight, I think, to change our level of expectation. I think he's calling us to change our mindset a little bit in terms of what our expectation levels is for God to really move. I think that's what he wants to provoke about. That's what he maybe has been provoking. There's something about the voice of the Lord that disrupts our comfortableness, that disrupts what Martin Lloyd-Jones calls our smug contentment at times in the church. And there's something that I think that the Lord is, is doing. I think he's disrupting our familiarity, our um, experiences of the past. I think he, he wants to disrupt that because he's longing to say something new. And, and the inkling that we have, maybe stronger than an inkling now, that God really wants to do something remarkable in these days, has obviously been triggered by the state of the world that we live in at the moment. It's... Um, uh, it's pretty mad out there. There's a the deconstruction of our culture in the moral decline, the hemorrhaging of the church in many parts of our nation, the political instability, the exposure of the institutions, the groaning of creation that we see in our the civil unrest we see all around the world it seem to be all signs that creation is groaning, that something is up. And it's left the people of God discerning what the Spirit of God wants to do. And that's what we're called to do. Now, a, a quick caveat just to, to talking about revival for a moment. There should obviously be a recognition that we are just to get on with being like Jesus in the meantime, right? There's a sense in which the kingdom is always available to us, right? It's always accessible to us. And so we want to encourage each other to get on with seeing God's kingdom come because the big really is in the small, right? And so we get on with that day by day. We don't want to miss the invitations of the Spirit in the everyday life, tomorrow morning when you go to work, we don't want to miss the gentle but profound invitations we have to partner with the Holy Spirit in specific areas to take risk and to have courage and all of those things. We want to get on with that and I want to really, really emphasize that. In saying that, we are finding ourselves, I think, as a people in a world at the minute that needs something extraordinary to happen, needs a remarkable, awesome, supernatural otherworldly intrusion of the presence of God into our world, into our cultures, into our communities, into our classrooms, into our societies. We need something beyond what we've seen before. And it appears to me and it appears to us and many others who I respect and feel are here in the Lord at the minute, it seems to me that the Holy Spirit, there is a kind of revealing going on in the world. And the Bible said, uh, Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit came, he would convict the world of sin, that he would reveal truth, and that he would, always, uh, he would also expose sin, I suppose. And, and the revealing that I think is going on at the moment is that the idols of our culture are being exposed for what they really are, which is worthless. They're like the wind. They blow in for a while, and then they'll blow out, not like the kind of true wind of the Spirit. And um, I think that is being revealed. What is also being revealed at the moment is when human humanity tries to set up systems that are uh, devoid of the presence of God, when we try to set up the world on our own terms, we don't get very far. 
And no matter how progressive people try to make it sound, and no matter how cool the papers and the media and all of that try to make it sound, it's not working. People are getting really, really, really damaged, right? People are getting really, really, really broken. Far too many people are ending up taking their, their, their own lives. All sorts of horrible things are happening to humanity and to creation because of the way that humanity has sought to set up how it lives on its own terms, and to set the agenda of how it does that. And, um, and I'm not saying in some ways that the church has always got it right, because it certainly hasn't in terms of how it tries to see humanity flourish and become all that God has called it to be. But what I, what I want us to think about and remind ourselves again tonight of is sometimes when the church gets it right, Sometimes, at other times, when there is a revival of God's people, when there is a renewing of God's people, there can be a profound change in society, literally a remarkable change in society when there's an outpouring of God's Spirit. There is something which the church is at the forefront of. It pushes humanity on more into the destiny that God has for it. I really love this um, quote from James Byrne. Listen Burns, listen to this. Progress we see occurs through revival. Any progress is like the incoming tide. Each wave is revival, going forward, receding, being followed by another. To the onlooker, it looks and seems as if nothing is gained, but the force behind the ebb and flow is the power of the tide. And so it is again with the nations. One will rise and carry human progress to a zenith. Having done so, it falls back and another replaces it. Thus, the progress of humanity is continued through successive revivals. It's a really, really interesting, fascinating thought that civilization, but the thing about it is all the history books won't tell you this. But it's a fascinating thought to think that the influence of Christianity and the influence of the church when it gets it right and the outpourings of the Spirit and the revivals that have happened throughout the Bible and throughout history have brought a positive influence on humanity and on civilization in the terms of the way God wants His world to work. At times, it's been the church and the outpouring of the Spirit upon the church that has dragged humanity out of moral depravity, that has dragged it out of its kind of moribund existence from its corrupt systems. And we only have to think back to the Great Awakening. The reality is that we think slavery is wrong today because the Christians 300 years ago or 400 years ago thought it was okay. The reason that we don't think it's okay anymore is because there was an outpouring of the Spirit upon God's church and people were awakened to the truth of God's Word and realize something needs to be done about these situations and circumstances. Child reform, social reform, health reform, all of those kind of things happened in and as a result of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit where God's people get revived, get passionate enough to do something about things, and carry the designs of heaven into the culture all around it. And it's these kind of traits that I've mentioned that kind of determine are, are kind of determining the world in which we live in at the moment, which reveal just how, how lost we really are, how, how, how we've lost most of our reference points. And, um, you know, you know if, you, if you read the news or you're half kind of involved in what current affairs are going on, you're, you're going to be aware that it's kind of pretty much spiraling out of control. 
It's lost its sense of anchor. It's very much post-Christian. And the moments, and yet those moments in history seem to be the potential moments for the Spirit of God to get a hold of His people and call them to pray and to reveal something of the beauty of Jesus. And it's in these moments of profound grief and maybe even disgust at where we've got to, that feeling of sickness in your spirit that starts to kind of come when we watch certain things in the news or we hear certain things or sometimes when we look even into the state of our own hearts. God then, it's in these moments that God can stir profoundly within his people a desperation, a desperation for something beyond any kind of meeting that we can put on, for something beyond even any kind of evangelistic campaign that we can run, for something beyond any big event that we can pull off. There comes a desperation in the people of God for something more than that, something unusual, something remarkable, something supernatural. And I think, I could be barking up the wrong tree here, but I, I don't think I am, hopefully. I think, I think God wants to put in us a desperation, a desperation. And I know some of us have been Christians for a long time, but it's, it's, and I'm speaking to myself first and foremost, it's really easy just to get comfortable, particularly when you're in a church that's relatively contemporary, it's relatively forward thinking, it's relatively kind of in the moving things forward. It's still really easy to get entitled. It's still really easy to get slightly spiritually smug. It really is. And the reason I can tell you that is not because I'm, because I can see it in my own life. And I feel like the Holy Spirit is longing to put a desperation. I mean, like a crazy kind of hunger in us that is almost insatiable. The only thing that will fill it only thing will fill it will be the presence of God. You come back out of certain meetings and you go, I don't really, nothing really happened there because God wasn't there. You become that desperate for God that, you know, you, it, it just, you, it almost feels like you're getting fussy. You become so desperate for God. And, and this is what we need. And this is what Martin Lloyd-Jones said. I've been in his book the last, over Christmas and stuff. And it's been just like stirring my heart so much. He wrote these, he wrote this book, late 50s, early 60s. Here's a man who longed for revival and probably didn't get to see what he longed for. But he wrote an amazing book on revival. Oh, he preached these as sermons uh, during that time. And this is what he said. This was in the 60s. So kind of magnify this up now. Now, surely this is a crying need over the hour. We are aware of the position of the vast majority of people in this country. Right, so he's obviously... He's obviously looking at the world in the 60s going, we're aware of how bad it is. Now, like, like that's the 60s. Right? And some of you are old enough to remember what that was like. And I'm not saying it was brilliant, right? But like, think about the way the world is now. Think about the utter collapse of some of the institutional church in those 50 years. For a start. The world has changed massively. Think, think about moral decline since that point when they thought, like, think about, just think about this for a moment. And this is what he was saying there. We're aware of the position of the vast majority of people of this country. Church attendance constitutes but 5% of the population. And though we may preach and fast and sweat and pray and do all we can, all our efforts seem to lead to nothing. 
What is needed is some mighty demonstration of the power of God, some enactment of the Almighty that will compel people to pay attention and to look and to listen. And if the history of all the revivals of the past indicates so clearly that that this is invariably the fact of revival without any exception at all. That is why I am calling attention to revival. That is why I am urging you to pray for this. When God acts, he can do more in a minute than man with his organizing can do in 50 years. What is needed is some mighty demonstration of the power of God, some enactment of the Almighty that will compel people to pay attention and to look and to listen. Some of us have been leading church for quite a while. You know how to give a half-decent talk. Let me let you in the secret. You know how to kind of enthuse people. You know how to kind of get people behind a vision. But I've never been so utterly aware of our need for something beyond anything that we can give in and of ourselves. I've never been so conscious of my need to utterly renounce my own giftedness, not that God doesn't want to use that, in order for a mighty demonstration of his power, of a mighty enactment of the Almighty, of the glory of God breaking in on the earth, of men and women being slain in the spirit, prostrate before the Lord. You know, when this kind of thing happens, <laughs> you know, nobody really gets the glory or should, and if they try to, it doesn't end well for them. And so this is why we're preaching about it, because we feel that we need to, like Martin Lloyd-Jones says, we need to call attention. We need to call attention to the idea of revival. We need to stir an imagination for it in our hearts and in our lives. We feel we need to speak to our own hearts. And this is why this, the psalmist would say, my heart of God is steadfast. If ever we needed anything today, it's hearts that aren't swayed to and fro, but steadfast hearts. Steadfast. Hold our nerve, right? Hold our ground. Stop getting like, like, you know, too drawn into like the culture wars. Just hold your ground. Keep your nerve. Stay rooted to Jesus, right? Because all that other stuff is going to come and go, right? There's nothing new under the sun, right? It's going to come and go. And so steadfast hearts, I will sing and make music. Awake my soul. Awake my soul. Awake harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, reaching to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Awake our souls. Awake our hearts. Wake us up, Lord. We give you permission. That, that, that has to be our purpose. We give you permission to wake us up, to make us even more desperate than maybe we've been before. You know, Because the reality is what we can do here, we can, we can look to all the other big names. We can look to all the other big brands of church. We can look to all them for leadership from them, and they're going to help us. And they're going to speak into us, I'm sure. But we can look everywhere else for it to start, but why not here? Why not in Lurgan? Why not a people here in this little town, in this little city? 
Why not a people here who are more desperate than anybody else on the face of the earth? Why not? Well, you know, and we're obviously going to be inspired by others, but why, why not? And I think that's what the Lord wants to do and say. And, uh, and I just feel that the Lord has given us a chance as a church to turn this all around. Um, Mark Sayers, he's an Australian, so he can speak with authority on it. Um, he, 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 he talks about the example and the metaphor of uh, the bushfires that happened in Australia. And uh, I just want to be obviously very sensitive to the fact when I'm talking about this, that first and foremost, so many people have been absolutely devastated by the recent bushfires. And we need to pray for those people, pray for the nation of Australia, and pray that God will redeem out of such tragic, tragic circumstances. And uh, thank God for the rain last week, and let's continue to pray for more of that. He uses the, the analogy that, <clears throat> you know, when the bushfires come, they actually after they burn and leave a wake of destruction, that when they burn out or are put out, what is left <clears throat> out of the ash is a potent kind of compost that becomes the place where the African, or sorry, the Australian bush can spring up again. And I just wonder if all these, like we want the holy fire, but all the bad fires that are burning through our culture at the minute, leaving a wake of destruction. And, and mark, mark my words, some of the stuff that we even slightly get seduced by that's on our TVs and is on Netflix and all of those kind of other things, as glitzy and as glamorous as they make it sound, it's damaging people. It is damaging people. It is killing people. The enemy is out to steal and kill and to destroy. And people are watching certain things and it's making them feel great, but it's also making them go to bed and be more tormented because they feel less worthy than that perfect other person on the TV or, or whatever it might be, right? So the enemy is at war. And there's all sorts of kind of fires that are burning negatively, badly, bringing destruction and damage. And what if, what if <clears throat> the way that they're burning, what if people are going to come to a realization that it doesn't hold all the answers that the advertiser said it did? And what if that provides for us a kind of fertile compost for the hope and the beauty of Jesus to shine through? And what if this is opportunity for us to see something in our generation of a revival of culture with the presence of God and as it is in heaven coming on earth? And so in the midst of turbulence, we the church are being urged to hold our ground. <clears throat> to keep our position because God wants to do a new thing and he is going to do it. He wants to do it because the thing that God does will be much greater than any other of the promises that anything in the world can give. I want to take the last 10 minutes or so to look at a passage in John chapter 11. Okay, so I think it's going to be on the screens. It's quite a few verses. Just let me read them to you and um, hopefully each verse will come up might be slightly different. I'm reading it from the NIV, but um, this is the ASV up there. But just let me read this to you. John chapter 11. Try and, um, try and just keep with the flow of what's going on here. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her wet hair. And so the sister sent, Lord, sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. It's beautiful, isn't it? Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, I want you to get this. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Some of the translations say this sickness is not on to death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. 
Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to the disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And after he had said this, he went on to tell them our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of death, but his disciples thought he had meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that even now, God, you will give whatever you ask. Jesus, I said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Good. Yes, Lord. Amen. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. The story goes on to tell us how Jesus will walk to that tomb. He'll stand in front of the tomb, and in a loud voice, he'll say, Lazarus, come forth. And out he comes of a tomb, still uh, bound up by the things that he's been bandaged in. <clears throat> God says, release him and let him go. Mm. What I want you to notice in this passage as we draw tonight to a close is that it seems like Jesus, as a human being, was grieved. I didn't read the verse because it would have to read the whole chapter, but it tells us the shortest verse in the Bible we learned growing up in the Gospel Hall, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, right? And, uh, and so in Jesus' humanity, he was grieving the loss of his friend. It's a beautiful thought, right? Just like when you lose a friend, you just Jesus shows us how to weep with those who weep how he was affected when he went to the place. It was his friend. Lazarus was his friend. Mary and Martha and Lazarus loved Jesus. It was his favorite place to go. Bethany was where he wanted to hang out because they loved him and they valued him. And, uh, and so when he goes back, he's, he, he weeps. And yet, in the mystery of all of this, as the son of God, he also knows that something else is going on here. Lazarus is dead, but he's not dead. He is really dead because he's been dead for four years, four days, sorry. I've been really smelly, right? But it was smelly enough after four days, right? And, um, and Jesus said, this is what I want us to think about tonight. And Jesus said, when he hears that Lazarus is dead, you can maybe even think Jesus was being insensitive here, but this is what he said. This sickness, if you flick back onto my thing, thank you. He says, to this sickness is not unto death. This sickness is not on to death. And um, I, I, what I want to offer to you tonight, if you can help me discern this, is even though the church is sick, and even though in places it looks like it's dead, I just wonder if Jesus Christ in his grace 
is giving us another chance. And I wonder if Jesus says to his church tonight, you're sick. You, you look like actually parts of you is going to die. But this sickness is not on to death. Because Jesus is going to start making his way to Bethany. And something is going to happen. Dead things are going to start coming back to life. Something is going to happen. And when Jesus looks at his church, like he looks at his friend Lazarus, he grieves. And when Jesus looks at his church, oh, he looks at parts of his church, it breaks his heart, he grieves, he weeps. He weeps, but he's seen the worst of the bride. And he still loves her. He's the perfect lover. Because without being too graphic here, she's prostituted herself over every hill. And Jesus still loves her. And Jesus looks at his church, and I think he looks at some of the parts of even my life tonight, and his promise to me is, <clears throat> it looks dead, but listen, this sickness is not on to death. Jesus is starting to walk towards Bethany because the reason that he does is he wants to reveal God's glory to humanity. No, it is for God's glory so that his son may be glorified through it. And so what I think is going on in the world today is God is allowing the principalities and powers to show their hand. He's allowing us to see what it's like when the world really tries to progress itself without the presence of God. And the principalities and powers have shown their best hand at how much they damage and destroy the humanity that God loves and how they don't have the answer for the questions of our souls for meaning and for a better world. That's what we see with the whole climate change thing, by the way, which is really important. Everybody now wants a better world. But having a better world without Jesus is not going to get you anywhere because you always end up in some kind of weird form of pride and setting yourself up one against the other. And that's not the way of Jesus. And maybe this is why the people of God are being stirred. Maybe this is why people are praying around the world despite our sickness. Maybe this is why the remnant is starting to pray like never before. Maybe this is why actually, even though the papers don't tell you this, although it was in the papers, I think, recently, that the church in England is actually now starting to increase. Maybe this is why atheism for the last four years has been declining. Nobody's telling you that in the news, but that's the truth. Maybe it's because God is reviving his people. Maybe it's because Jesus is on his way back to Bethany. Maybe it is because this is a sickness, but it's not on to death. Maybe because the Lord himself is going to come to his church and say, I am the resurrection and the life. It's not just the last day, glorious as that will be as well. It's now. He's coming as the resurrection and the life. Dead things come back to life. That's maybe why we see unusual things happening in culture. That's maybe why, you might laugh at this, but that's maybe why Kanye West has written an album called Jesus is King. Now, like, I know, like, you know, some silly people will want to debate, is he really saved? And, you know, is he mentally well enough to really mean what he says? Like, he could have written an album about anything in the world. And he wrote an album that basically preaches the gospel and says, Jesus is King. Maybe that's why Coldplay have just released an album, and even though Chris Martin doesn't really believe in Christianity above any other religion, he's got a song in it called The Church with lyrics that say, because when I'm hurt, I will go to the church. Maybe that's why, <laughs> maybe that's why Roberto Firmino, who got baptized last week, right? 
right? Liverpool supporters, you know, glory to God, right? Keep your, your allegiances to Christ, okay? I know it's a hard day to tell you that, but just like keep it down, right? right? Millions of people captivated, right, by, by a global kind of superstar being baptized right in front of your phone. And then let, let's just get past popular culture, but it's interesting. And let's go to the grassroots. When you travel around this land and you chat the ones and twos, and I go to England, or I get the pleasure of going to America and some of my friends, and little by little, all over the world, little fires are lighting with people who know that Jesus is on his way back because he is the resurrection, and he is the life because God wants to move. Maybe this is all because Jesus is on his way back to Bethany, to the place to the place where they loved them most. Mary, at one other point, had poured all the perfume over his head, wiped her feet with his tears. And yet, it's both and, isn't it? His church, beautiful, extravagant worship, and then part of his church dead. When Jesus is coming to the ones he loves, and to the ones who try to love him like he loves them, to revive them, so that the glory of God can be revealed. What if Jesus is on his way back? What if this is what's going on in our world at the minute? And what if we are supposed to pray for something unusual? What if we're supposed to be like Mary and Martha, who are grieved about our brothers and sisters who are dead? What if the mantle and Emmanuel in this season is first and foremost to get our own house in order and then to grieve over our brothers and sisters, part of the church all around this land? What if we're called to be the ones that love Jesus so much that we grieve for our brothers and sisters that have died but believe the words of Jesus, the sickness is not on to death. <laughs> so that the glory of God can be revealed. When the lion really roars, just I'm reading the, my girls through the Narnia books, and we're on the first one, the magician's nephew. I got so excited the other night, but they were a wee bit sleepy. They weren't as excited as me, but <laughs> all of a sudden, in this other world, the whole sky starts to light up. They hear a voice and it tremors underneath their feet. And the stupid old witch in the story, once she hears the lion roar, she runs a mile. She runs and hides under some tree somewhere, out of the road, tries to get out of that world. And so while it looks really intimidating out there and really difficult out there, and while there's an awful lot of pain in the world at the minute, I honestly think, what if, what if the enemy just throwing his best hand at the minute because he knows he's got an idea that something, something powerful, an enactment of the Almighty, a mighty demonstration of the power of God. What if it's coming? And so let's kind of close this. I fought with this most of the week because I kind of tried to think about something else to talk about. And I feel like the word the Holy Spirit gave me was constrained. That that we were being, that well I was being and we were being constrained in this moment. 
constrained by the spot to stay on this and to call in. See, constraining sounds like a negative word, doesn't it? It sounds like a controlling kind of term and restricting, but in the Bible it's kind of used in the positive and it actually even seems, it means like to compel or to urge or to strongly encourage. And it seems to suggest that we can constrain God. And there's a good example on the road to Emmaus. Two disciples utterly enthralled with the person of Jesus. And he was going to walk on by. And they constrained him. And they constrained him. We're not letting you go, Jesus. We're not letting this one go. Abide with us. Because it is the word evening. And the day is great. (laughs) And he went in to tarry with them. I think the invitation... There's some more to say, but I'm going to leave it. I think the invitation to us in this new season is who wants to constrain Jesus? Phil sometimes talks about you know grabbing the lapels in heaven and pulling it down to earth. It's that kind of a thing. Who wants the Lord to put within them a desperation? A desperation. For him to move. Who wants the Lord to put into them? Who wants to give the Lord permission to allow him to wake them in the middle of the night? To weep over lost souls. That unless the Lord moves, are going to a lost eternity. Who wants, who wants to allow the Lord to make them desperate for that kind of a thing? I think that's the, that's the desire. And I think that God is calling us to draw him down. If that's the way to put it to constrain him to come because we can't do it in and of ourselves. Final quote, P.T. Purcell. We are not the fire, but we live where it burns. <clears throat> what if we could be the people who, who live where the fire burns, constraining the Lord to come for a mighty enactment of his power and his will in our lives. I feel like that's what the Lord wants to do. I don't really have a really cool ending here. I'm kind of done. But I just feel like that's what God wants to do. I feel like that's where God's leading us. And it would be great, you know, for you guys, for us all together, to sense and know the Lord's leading in this, to discern what level of hunger is in the room for us to keep on pursuing what we feel the Lord wants to do. And so... um. Just gonna, I'm just going to pray. <laughs> Ellie and the guys can get up. We'll maybe finish with the song. Let's just take a moment. So very simply, what I just feel like we should do tonight to finish is, before we sing or anything, just if you're here tonight and you feel like like an invitation from the Spirit to 
allow, to allow him to put a holy desperation in your heart and your spirit for what he's calling us to do. I just want to encourage you to stand wherever you are. And I just want to pray. Because your, your hunger works for you. Jesus, we thank you that in your grace our sickness is not on to death. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you give us another chance to bring the dead back to life. And God, we want to be <coughs> alive ourselves. Also, Lord, we know when it comes to revival and awakening that first and foremost you, you have to revive your, your people, God. You have to revive your church, the Lord. And Lord, and in these moments, I just pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters who say to you tonight, Lord, make me hunger. Lord, make me desperate. Lord, consume me with a love and a desire for you and for your kingdom and for the lost. Would you come now, Holy Spirit? Come in this place, Lord. Come in this place. Thank you, Lord. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Right in these moments, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would impart into this room fresh hunger and fresh desperation and an awareness of God of our deep, deep need for you. God, would you just bring that awareness even in these moments. I pray for an impartation, oh God, of your spirit just to move across this room right now in the name of Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.